0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. This conversation wasn't supposed to happen. You know that Gentiles and Jews didn't associate, but Matthew tells us more. He says that this woman was a Canaanite. She is a descendant of Ham, one of the sons of Noah. After the flood, Noah planted a vineyard, had too much to drink, and fell asleep, naked and exposed. Ham saw his father lying there naked and mocked him. He mocked the one through whom God had saved the world, and he invited his brothers to do the same too. I don't know that it gets much more shameful than that, Deriding your parents, laughing at their weaknesses, questioning their wisdom, or lack thereof. Sadly, we've all done it. But Noah's other two sons showed their father honor. They walked into his tent backwards and covered his shame with a garment. When Noah had sobered up, he learned what his son Ham had done. And so he cursed Ham's son, Canaan. Now, the descendants of Canaan would come to be many of Israel's enemies. Those enemies included this woman. By virtue of her ancestry, she had no right to speak to Jesus. She was a daughter of Ham, one more person in a long line of those who had rejected God. And opposed Israel. This conversation never should have happened. But not only did this woman have no right to talk to Jesus, Jesus wasn't supposed to be there either. He says in our text that he was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But Jesus isn't in Israel. He's in the land of Tyre and Sidon. And if you happen to be a little rusty on your biblical geography, Tyre and Sidon are on the Mediterranean coast, far from Jerusalem and well outside of Israelite boundaries. If there were any Jews in this area, they would be rare. Now, Jesus ordinarily stays in Galilee, the northern part of Israel. And he travels through or around Samaria to get to Judea and Jerusalem in the south. That's where he celebrates the feasts. But Tyre and Sidon are in the land of pagans and unbelievers. Why in the world would Jesus go there? If Jesus is sent only to the lost sheep of Israel, what is he doing way outside of that area? Now, if we look a few chapters before today's text, in Matthew 11, Jesus says something about Tyre and Sidon to the Jews. If the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But the Jews don't. In other words, Jesus is making it clear that he has preached and taught and healed, he's cast out demons and answered theological questions, and he's made it abundantly clear to the Jews that he is the Messiah promised in their Old Testament. But all the Jews want is more miracles, more signs, more proof of who Jesus is. And they refuse to come to him. Only a faithful few trust his words and hold fast to him as Savior. Most, it seems, have no use for his salvation, no desire to leave behind the treasures of this world and receive his life. Jesus has come to rescue all those who are tangled up in their sins, all those who need to be rescued. And they decide that they like Jesus just because he makes their lives a little more comfortable now. He is preaching salvation with no strings attached. Pure mercy from God because of his shed blood. The ultimate solution to the ultimate problem. And they yawn and go back to sleep. Or they prefer to find God out on the golf course. Or they just make excuses. In other words, they didn't care. Now, of all people, the Jews should have faith in Jesus. So what will Jesus do? Will he call down a fire from heaven? Will he undo his miracles? Will he force them to believe? No, no, and no. Quite simply, Jesus leaves. He literally just walks away. And this is a grave warning for us, too. If we despise God's word and take it for granted, if we just assume that, well, we can skip church this week because we're so certain we can come back next week or next month and the church will still be here, if we imagine that everything else is more important, the everything else that needs our time and attention, the game and the family and the job, the video games and the social media and the news, or maybe we just don't feel like going. Well, if we do those things, one day we'll wake up and realize that Jesus is gone. That he's no longer part of our lives. Or perhaps, and this is much worse, maybe we'll wake up one day and Jesus will be gone and we won't miss him. We won't think of him. We won't remember his word. We won't recall his promises. We won't desire his forgiveness. We won't long for his communion. And we will be content, happy even, to be without Jesus, grateful to no longer follow him. Our apathy will reach its goal. And the more we miss church, the more we won't miss it. The more we find ourselves absent from the things of God, the more we realize that Our lives seem kind of okay without them. Now, Luther described our Lord's preaching as a rain cloud. He said that the preaching of Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins rains down from heaven. For a time, it rains in one place, but then it moves on to another. We see this in history, too. Europe is no longer filled with Christians. Their churches are empty because they took Jesus for granted. They didn't go to church. They didn't pray in their homes. So the inevitable happened. Their faith eventually died. This is a real temptation. There's a small part of us that finds some joy in thinking this way. So we pray that God would deliver us from this temptation. God, help us never to allow this to happen in our country and state, in our city and homes, or in this church. Now, if our avoiding this temptation depends on us, then it's just another burden. But Jesus comes to take away our burdens. He carries our sorrows. Consider that when man broke the world, when we corrupted the world with our sin and loved ourselves instead of him, he didn't walk away from his creation or simply destroy it and start over. He took on our flesh and suffered among us that he might die our death and rise eternally to give us life forever with him. Far beyond what we have deserved, he loves us. And though we have been apathetic, or perhaps despised our parents like ham, Jesus still comes to us this day with his word and spirit, forgiving us, feeding us his own flesh and blood, promising to be our God, that we are his people. Trust in this God is no burden. Praying to him, reading his word, seeking his mercy and instruction, this is no burden. It is the peace and strength that our Christian faith relies on. And yet, in our text, we see that the apathy of God's people seems to have driven Jesus away. And here we have one of the great mysteries of the faith. God will not force himself on them. He will not force them to believe. So the Jews push him away and out of their lives with a spiritual whatever So Jesus leaves Israel. He goes away from Galilee to the faraway cities of Tyre and Sidon and there he encounters this woman. If there's anyone in all the scriptures who shouldn't believe she should be among them. Daughter of a cursed father, an enemy of God's people what hope does she have? And yet, this woman is the complete opposite of apathetic. She knows what she needs and she insists on it. Her daughter is severely oppressed by demons and no one is able to help. No doctors, no pagan priests, none of the multitude of her pagan gods. Somehow she has gotten word of who this Jesus is and she has become convinced that he will help her. She has come to know enough of God's word to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, so that no matter what happens, she will trust God's word. She will be confident that Jesus can help. This is what faith is. Faith isn't just knowing things about Jesus. Faith is clinging to Jesus no matter what. Faith means holding tight to Jesus even when it looks like the world is against you, even when it looks like Jesus is against you. So therefore, she seeks him out. She knows what she needs from Jesus, and she is determined to have it. And she will receive what she seeks. Now we should probably pause here and point out that it wasn't because she was so certain that Jesus would help her that causes him to help. Jesus helps because the woman's faith is grounded in God's word. There are people who confidently believe that Jesus wants to make them wealthy or to give them health and success in this life. But Jesus is not obligated to do that. He's only obligated to do what he promises in his word. So this woman knows something of who Jesus is, and she goes to him for help. But Jesus, it seems, ignores her. He will not even look at her, and yet she will keep begging. So much so that even the disciples tell Jesus, dismiss her. Then, when Jesus finally does acknowledge her, he insults her. Faith is tested. Jesus is testing this woman's faith, not because Jesus is being mean, but because he knows that faith that is not tested will die. Faith that is not tested leads to apathy, to not caring. Faith that always gets what it wants, when it wants, never having to wait, that kind of faith will die. So without us seeing the pain and trouble in our lives, without us seeing that we need our Lord's forgiveness, and God making us wait, not answering our prayer right away and allowing us to suffer. Without this testing, we can lose sight of how much we actually need God and what our life would be like without him. Faith needs to be tested to remain strong. We need to see that Jesus is actually worth pursuing So we see this woman and when she comes to Jesus she is already suffering day by day she bears the burden of knowing that her daughter is possessed and she cannot help and yet when she goes to Jesus he still tests her she still has to wait for his timing It looks as if God is just adding insult to injury, pain upon pain. He's not. He loves her. This testing is good for her. God's testing of us is good for us too. Because in this testing, God is working to destroy our apathy. He wants it to be impossible for us not to care. The woman already had faith when she came to Jesus. She already believed in him. But Jesus tests true faith. So that faith in him never gives up. This is the kind of faith that Jesus wants. Faith that clings to God's word so tightly that it demands him to be faithful to it. Consider this example from Psalm 22. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. Or Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? Psalm 44. Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? True faith insists that God saves. Because that is who he is. Even when everything around us seems to say the opposite. Even when it looks like like he himself is ignoring us. And so she is ignored. And she keeps crying. Dismissed. And she came and knelt before him. Now, the text is stronger, though. It says that she prostrated herself before him. She worshipped. Isn't that marvelous? She receives an apparent no from Jesus, and she responds by worshipping him. And then she has the audacity to pray her request yet again. Lord, help me down on her knees, begging the Lord for help. Surely she now has the faith that Jesus seeks. But Jesus will try her faith still more. And he gives her the hardest and harshest test. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. You are a dog he says. You have no right to the bread of the children of Israel. You are a dog and you are not allowed to take the bread that I have given to my children. As if it wasn't bad enough that she had fallen on her face before him begging like a dog with her face in the dirt. Jesus confirms her status. And then, marvel upon marvels, she agrees with Jesus. Yes, Lord, I am a dog. I do not deserve mercy, yet. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Yes, Lord, I am a dog. But if I am your dog then I am satisfied. Jesus, I know that you have come to give bread to your children, to feed the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But I do not need a great feast. I do not need a great loaf of your bread. Give me only a crumb. Make me your dog. And I shall be overjoyed with that little bit of mercy. And then, finally, the answer. "O oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. From all appearances, it seemed as though Jesus wasn't interested in her prayers, as though God himself were ignoring her requests. But in truth, Jesus was working to help her, to increase her hunger for him and his promises. Because all throughout this episode, this woman has been following the crumbs that her Lord had left her to hold on to. First of all, she had somehow recognized Jesus, and she knew that wherever Jesus went, he went there to save. It is what his name means. God saves. And so if Jesus was in the region of Tyre and Sidon, he would be there to save. He would be there to help. Then when he says that he came only for the lost sheep of Israel, she knows that something more is going on. If the good shepherd has come out to the pagan lands, he must be coming to seek his sheep. He must be there for her. Jesus is after his lost sheep, wherever they may be. And then, when Jesus calls her a dog, notice what he says It is not right to take the bread of the children and throw it to the dogs. It is as if he said, It would not be right for me to take away what I have given to others in order to give it to you. And yet she responds in the most profound way. Yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She wasn't interested in receiving the leftovers from the Jews. It's true. She only wanted a crumb. But she wanted that crumb to come from her master. And so, in all of this, Jesus was being profoundly merciful. Because God doesn't want your faith to be like an old, tired, lazy dog lounging in the sun. He wants a faith that is hungry for Him, hungry for His Word, desiring of His supper. A faith that is desperate and focused on Jesus alone. The way a dog is utterly focused on the little morsel of meat you hold in your hand. Nothing can distract him from his goal. That's how this woman was. She knows that even if it's hidden, Jesus has mercy and love for her and her daughter. She had grabbed tightly a hold of him by his promises, and she won't let go. So that the one who has fled the apathy in Israel cannot flee from the faith that won't let go of him. And so profound is this woman's faith that Jesus himself marvels. And he sees fit to preserve this episode, this record of her faith, for millennia of Christians to follow. And Jesus does give her what she needs. He gives her mercy. And her daughter was healed instantly. But then, what about us? What about our trials? Well, God uses them to teach us to trust in him alone. We sang this last week when we said, Take they our life, goods, fame, child, and wife. Let these all be gone. Our victory has been won. The kingdom ours remaineth. If I have God's promises, I have everything. And yet, God permits me to suffer. And sometimes he pushes me because he wants me to pray to him ever more fervently, to look to his promises in scripture with ever greater hope. When affliction oppresses me, God wants me to turn to him. We sing in the great Easter hymn, Now I will cling forever to Christ, my Savior true. My Lord will leave me never whate'er he passes through. He rends death's iron chain. He breaks through sin and pain. He shatters hell's grim thrall. I follow him through all. So find all your comfort in the fact that God sent Jesus to die for you, to save you from your sins. He loves you, and he will give you all good things as his free gift. And even now, today, you have the same mercy as this Canaanite woman. You are an honored guest at your Lord's table. And you are satisfied with a little crumb, a little morsel of his mercy. So grab hold of the promises that he gives you here, and hold on for dear life. In the holy name of Jesus. Amen. The peace of God keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.